You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Why don't you go ahead uh, right away and just grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be in this morning, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. And I am so excited to jump into this new series in the book of John. Uh, as, as you're turning there, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this. He said, if, if we were to lose our entire Bible, except for the book of Romans and the book of John, he said, we'd be okay. We'd be all right. If, if that's all we had, we'd still be okay. And, and he's saying they're the two of the most important books in God's word and his opinion. And we're going to get to dig into one of those over the next 28 or so Sundays. And why am I excited about this? I'm, I'm excited to jump into the book of John because in the book of John, we're introduced to, because John tells us all about Jesus. And, and as a church, we're not a complicated church. If someone were to say, hey, what's your church all about? He, here's the quickest, easiest way to say it. We're, we're just all about Jesus. Like that, that, that's what we're about. We, we want to know Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. And so you have God's word open there and you see it starts off right away. And, and I mean, the title here, even before we jump into the, into the text, the title is The Gospel According to John. I like that because it's not a gospel according to John. It is the gospel. There's not another gospel. It's not, not one of many gospels, but this is the gospel. Because we're going to read in the book of John where Jesus has the audacity to say, I am the way, he says. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the truth. Now, we live in a culture where, where the truth isn't talked about a lot. We hear a lot about, well, you're, there's your truth, and then there's my truth. Listen, there's, there's a, a liberating reality to see that, that you can have your own experience, you can have your own opinion, but there's one capital T truth that grounds us, that defines us. It's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that, that John's writing about here, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, not just, not just for us, but he died instead of us. He was buried, resurrected on the third day, and he will come back to get all that is his. That's the good news. And there are four of these accounts of the gospel in the New Testament of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels. They're called that because they basically all share a lot of the same information. They, they share the same thing. About 60% about of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are saying the same thing. But in the gospel, according to John, 90% of what John shares is unique. John's writing this letter at the, near the end of his life. He's looking back at all that had happened. He's the last living disciple. And, and, and he writes this account of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, he, and all that Jesus said and did. He writes this as an eyewitness to it all. In fact, here's the part I love about reading through the book of John. John was Jesus' closest friend on earth. When Christ was on the cross and he's looking down at the foot of the cross, there's John with Jesus' mother. And he says to John, hey, John, take care of her. 
Now, Jesus had other stepbrothers, so you got to imagine the love and the trust he had for John, that he would say, John, take care of her. This is Jesus' closest friend, and he's writing this book, and he writes it with a purpose. He says in John 21, verse 25, he says, if I wrote everything that Jesus said and did, there wouldn't be enough books, there'd never be enough space in any library in the entire world to contain it all. He, he says, I've got a purpose in what I'm writing, and he zeroes in on that purpose in John 20, 31, where he says, I'm writing this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he's writing this. And church, this is my hope as we study this, that, that we would see, we would believe, we would follow, we would worship, we would love Jesus. So that's how we're going to roll through the next 28 Sundays. I mean, here's the thing. We, we could spend a decade just preaching through the book of John. We're, we're actually going pretty quick. You're like, 28? That's actually kind of fast. We're, we're, well, here's what we're doing. You could go super deep. John is deep, but we're going to go at this pace. Why? Because here's what I want us to do. I want us to be looking for Jesus. Because what matters most as we walk through this series is this. It's you believing in Jesus. It's you giving your life to Jesus. It's you following Jesus. And, and I love the book of John because in the book of John, it's, it's so deep because he's going beyond just the, hey, here's what's happened. And he's digging into the, hey, this is why it happened. It's so deep. But listen, it's also so accessible. Augustine said this. He said, it's John. The book of John is deep enough for an elephant to dive in and shallow enough for a child not to drown. So if you're brand new to this whole Bible thing and you're just kind of just checking this out right now, listen, it's going to make sense to you. And if you first started going to church with Moses um, and, and you like, you've been digging into God's word for a long time, listen, you won't hit bottom as you dig deep. I, I love that our life groups are walking through the book of John together. That's what we're doing every week studying. And what our life groups are doing is, is the verses leading up to Sunday. They're unpacking those. So, so we would come together as a church already studying, reading, meditating on the text that we're going to then hear together as the church. And when you allow the word of God to shape you when, you, when you seek to follow Jesus, your life will never be the same. So I would say this, make it a priority. Maybe this would be the season where you say, hey, we're coming every Sunday. And let's see what God does in our church. Not because my preaching is anything special, but because a group of people who are together in the word, actively seeking the Lord. I can't imagine the power of God unleashed on a group as we bring the gospel to our hearts, to each other, and to our community. There's a big introduction. Let, let me pray, and then we're going to jump into this text together, all right? Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that your word is true, um, that your word is powerful. You promise that your word does not come back void. It always accomplishes its purpose. And so I pray this morning, God, I feel um, most incompetent to be able to really unpack the depth of what you have for us in this, but um, I am confident that you do and that your spirit can work in each of our hearts so that we hear what you need us to hear. We're convicted where we need to be convicted. We're encouraged where we need to be encouraged. Most of all, I pray this above everything, that, that, Lord Jesus, we would see you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. 
Or if you have your Bibles open, let me, let me read through the first 18 verses, and then we're going to dive in together. It says this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him that he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was not, and was, sorry, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John starts right off the bat with this phrase. You see that there in verse 1. He says, in the beginning. Now, if you're a, Jew, a, a Jewish audience, you're like, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. Genesis starts the same way, right? In the beginning, God created. And John starts right off at the bat. He says, hey, I want to tell you who Jesus is. And he doesn't go to the whole manger angels or, or, or a genealogy or Christmas story stuff. John goes way further back. He's like, no, no, no. In the beginning was Jesus. Like back to Genesis 1-1 when this whole universe was created. And it's so important for us to, to not just move past that quickly. There's been so much done by the enemy to, con to convince us that we're some sort of cosmic accident that climbed out of the slime billions of years ago and here we are through this series of chance happenings that time plus chance brings you here. Listen, listen, you were created by God on purpose, made in his image. Look at verse three, John says it again. He says, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Like, like you go right down to the molecular level of, of our world and you turn over the tag and it says, oh, made by Jesus. Like everything is made by him. Jesus not made. You catch that? Jesus was not made. He's the maker of all things. He did not begin with the beginning. He began the beginning. It means this. I heard one preacher say it this way. Jesus isn't just the number one list on your list of priorities. No, he's the whole paper that that list is written on. In the beginning was the Word, it says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word, he says. Now, that's a weird phrase to describe someone. Why, why would John say he was the Word? A couple of things. John's not just writing to a Jewish audience. He's, he's from Ephesus. He's writing to a Greek audience as well. And, and the Greek philosophers would use this word, word, which is this word here. Well, that sounds weird, word, word. Anyway, it, the Greek word is logos, we get a word logic from it. 
Or whenever you have biology or theology, it's that, that word there. And, and, and in Greek philosophy, it was this term they would use to describe the force behind everything. They would say the logos is what gives meaning. It's what gives purpose. It's what gives life and value. It's the key that unlocks the understanding for everything. That's logos. And John's saying, hey, Greek philosophers, you're right. There is a key that holds it all together that gives life and meaning and purpose. This logos you've been searching for, his name is Jesus. And for the Jewish readers reading this, this concept of the word was important as well. All through the Old Testament, we see it's the word of God that brings life. God spoke, creation exists solely by just the power of his word. Isaiah 55 says that God's word goes out with power to accomplish its purposes. So if you want to see change in your life, if you want to bring hope or healing to, to relationships or where you're at spiritually or mentally to your family, listen, you need, you need a word from God. And we have it here. This is the word of God. And this is so important. We live in a day and age where there's a, there's a war against the word of God. It's why at Harvest, we would say, as simply as we can say it, that, that we have four things that we're really fired up about. And one of those four things, one of those four pillars is the word of God, that we believe in the word of God. We submit under, we study, we follow the word of God. And when you disagree with the word of God, you disagree with God. That, that we're not God's editors, we're God's messengers. And what the word of God does, the word of God reveals the character of God. It tells us who God is. I mean, if you think about it, you can, you can know a lot about somebody by hearing about them, right? But you really know somebody when you hear from them. Like if, if you're driving somewhere and you're going to go meet a friend and you're going to pick up a coffee for them at Timmy's and, and you swing through the drive-thru, you can wonder, gee, I wonder what kind of coffee they drink. I don't know. Should I just guess and just grab one? Or what do you do? You fire off a text or a quick call. Hey, what do you, what do you put in your coffee? Oh, double, double, great. I'll grab one for you. And you know who they are. You hear their word and you know. You hear God's word and you know God. And here's what's so cool about what John's saying. He's saying, Jesus is that very word. Jesus is, is God working in human history. Jesus is the power of God unleashed and at work in the world that he's made. And so in quoting this word, logos, he's, he's saying to the Greeks and he's saying to the Hebrews, he's saying this, whatever culture, whatever philosophy, whatever theology, whatever spirituality, whatever ideology, whatever nationality, whatever history, everyone, everywhere needs to know Jesus, needs to meet Jesus, needs to love Jesus, to submit to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, to fully trust in Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, there is no word from God, and there's no salvation from God. So when I start every Sunday with the same phrase, I say, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles it's because when, when the Bible is open, when Jesus is revealed, God speaks power into this place, power into history, and we're transformed. Now John says this. He says, Jesus was God and was with God. Okay, John, make up your mind. How can you be God and be with God at the same time? 
Now, firstly, some, some would say Jesus never claimed to be God. Listen, Jesus openly, emphatically, publicly, unapologetically, repeatedly said he was God. It's what put him to death because he proclaimed to be God. That's who Jesus is. I mean, that's the foundation of everything. It's what the Bible teaches. John is saying here, Jesus is God, but it also says Jesus was with God. Now, what John's doing here, he's establishing this, this doctrine we call the doctrine of the Trinity. And then we're going to see it unpacked in the whole book of John. But just to understand these first 18 verses, they're, they're like a, a prologue to the book. They're the introduction. So this morning might feel like we're drinking from a fire hose, but don't worry. If you're like, man, I don't think I got that. We're going to be circling back over and over again as John unpacks these things for us. But the idea of the Trinity is this. God is one in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One and three. And, and, and listen, you could try to describe it in all sorts of analogies, right? We're like, well, it's like an egg. There's the yolk and then, well, no, maybe not. That's not good. Well, it's like water and ice and steam, but they're also, what? No, that doesn't work. It's a three-leaf clover. No, not really, right? And then here's where I would land on stuff like doctrine of the Trinity that gets so hard to understand. And you can explain it in part, right? Okay, God is one. Three distinct persons. Meaning this, God didn't show up in the Old Testament as God the Father, and then in the New Testament as God the Son, and then now as God the Spirit. That, that's called modalism. It's a heresy. It's not what God's word teaches. Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. There are one but three distinct persons in perfect unity for all of eternity, and I don't get it either. And I'm okay with that. I mean, doesn't it make sense that our created finite minds can't fully get a, a, an understanding to comprehend an infinite, holy, mighty God? I kind of feel like it's like us going, I want to know what this is. So you take your water bottle to the ocean and go, put the ocean in here. This doesn't work. My brain can't fully get it, but John wants us to know this. Here's the point. Jesus is God co-eternal with the Father, all things made through him. Without him, nothing that was made was made, was not, well, not, not anything made that was made. John's saying everything came from Jesus. Everyone and everything find their meaning in Jesus. Everyone and everything is gonna give an account to Jesus. It means this, you're not here from nowhere. You're not here for, for no reason. You're not, you're, not, you're not going nowhere. You're here from Jesus. You're here for Jesus. You will give account to Jesus. All right, three verses. We're just getting started. You guys don't have plans for lunch, do you? Okay, good. Now we're gonna go quickly. Look at verse four. In him was life and the... Life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. These verses here now are our hope. I, mean, I don't know what kind of darkness you are experiencing today as you come into church, and we can smile, and we can be, you know, kind of like that churchy kind of thing. We roll in here, and yet, yet I don't know. Maybe there's stuff you're walking through right now. I mean, for me, this week was a week I was so overwhelmed by some things. I literally fired a text off to my wife. I'm studying this, and I fire a text off to my wife, and I say, it feels like whenever there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, darkness overcomes it. This verse here would say, God, that's not true. The darkness can feel powerful and, and it can feel like it's crushing you, but it can't overcome the light of Jesus. Psalm 139 says that even the darkness is light to him. And so, so maybe this morning you're walking through this valley of the shadow of death and, and whether it's 
physically or, or relationally or spiritually or, or mentally, or there's a, a sin or an addiction that, that feels like it's overcoming, that darkness is overtaking you, what John wants you to know is this, Jesus is the light and the darkness won't overcome him. The, the struggle is real, but Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you. I'll never forsake you. The darkness might be creeping in and pressing in, but it'll never ultimately overcome those whose hope is in Jesus Christ. Because the light is shone in this world, the darkness will not overcome it. Now, as John says that, he's casting our minds first backwards to creation to say, listen, God spoke into the darkness and there was light. And he's, he's foreshadowing the end of the story that Jesus wins, that, that the darkness has no chance. That when the light of Jesus shows up, darkness runs and hides. It doesn't matter how dark it is, the light will pierce through. Jesus pierces through this broken and fallen world. It's why even in the midst of the crazy, messed up world we're in, Christians have real hope. It's why we can have joy in the, in the mid, middle of, of chaos. It's why we can move out into our community, not, not fearful like we're losing a battle, but confident that Jesus is the light that overcomes all this darkness, that he brings us from death to life, and, and, and a life more full, a, a life that's eternal. John goes on, verse six to eight, he says this. If you have your Bibles there, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, now, now, he's talking about another John here. He's not talking about himself. He's introducing another character into this story. This is, he's jumping from talking about Jesus, now talking about a person who was talking about Jesus, and it's John the Baptist. Maybe you've heard of him. John the Baptist. Now, it's kind of, kind of weird to be John the Baptist. Like, was there Pete the Presbyterian and Mark the Methodist? And I don't think that's not kind of how it, how it means. It, it's John the Baptizer because it's what he did. And we're going to talk way more about him next week. And great, crazy enough, as we're having a baptism service. Isn't it neat how that all works out? I didn't plan that. It just kind of worked out that way. We're going to meet John next week. But, but for now, it says this. He came as a witness, verse 7, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He, he comes as this prophesied forerunner. He's the one coming saying, I want to point you to Jesus. Jesus is arriving. I want to bear witness to that. And why is he bearing witness to it? This is the true light, verse nine, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And why is this coming? Look at verse seven again. That all might believe through him. I love that. So John's saying, I want to point to this light, John the Baptist. Why? So that all who believe, all, that word there, all, it means this. No matter what you've done, no matter how you grew up, no matter what you believe, no matter what you believe now, God has you here today to hear this. Jesus is the light that you would believe, that all might believe. Verse 9, the, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I love that, that, that all, everyone. Why? Because everyone needs a Savior. And this good news of Jesus for everyone. Verse 10 says this, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It's, it's like this rescue mission comes and, and flashlights shining into the darkness and, and lost people see the light and they run away from the light. They run more into the darkness. Why? Because some people believe maybe I, I don't need to be saved. I'm doing pretty good. It's not true. Some people like being lost. I would rather stay here in my sin 
Some people think I'll find my own way. None of which is true. You probably heard it said before, well, maybe God's like this, this up on a mountain and there's all these different pathways up to God. And Christianity says, nice story, but, but the story of the Bible is something completely different. That God actually came down. It's not us trying to find our way at all. The light has come in and shone into the darkness. Or, or maybe I, I've talked to people, maybe you have two, and, and they're thinking, well, I don't know if I could follow Jesus. You don't know the things that I've done. And I'm thinking, so, so your darkness is too much for the light to overcome. Not a chance. Listen, sin's a big deal. It's, it's sin that, that but put Christ, Jesus, God the Son, on the cross to, to make full payment for it. But, but no matter how deep or serious your sin might be, it pales in comparison to the grace of God. It was poured out for you on the cross. All who would believe, everyone can be saved, no matter how bad you are. Now, the verses go on. Everyone can be saved even no matter how good you think you might be. Look at verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Some people struggle with the light because they're like, I'm too bad. I, I, there's no way that, that Jesus could ever love me. Some people struggle with it because they think they've already arrived. It, it wasn't just the world that rejected the good news of Jesus. His own people, Israel, did as well. Often it's those who think they're already righteous who are actually further away from knowing Jesus. Sometimes Jesus saves us from sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Listen, sometimes, often, he saves us from a self-righteous church pew. Because it's not our moral behavior that earns God's favor. It's just favor. It's called grace. And the, the people that John's talking about here, the, the first century Jews that he's talking about, a group of very religious Jewish people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, experts in things like Bible study and rules and religiosity, but they miss Jesus completely. The ones who should have been the first to recognize Jesus. But instead, no, they were looking for a political leader. They, they wanted a king to liberate them from the Romans and they missed their deeper need for us here today, we, we don't need better politics because our, our hope isn't there. We need hearts changed by the grace of God. And so these guys fell in love with the rules that, and they missed out on the relationship that God was offering. So listen, Harvest, Harvest, don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. What can happen is that we can come to church every Sunday and we get the church thing dialed in. We, we, got, our, we, we got the whole kids check-in thing. That's a breeze now. Life 100.3s on the, the minivan radio on the way in. And, and, and we know the right, even the right part of the worship song. To, this is where we raise our hands. We got this. What I'm afraid of, and it happens all the time, is that people, know, people can know church, but they don't know Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Look at verse 12 goes on, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. It's this, this gift of grace. It has nothing to do with your bloodline. It has nothing to do with your bank account, your morality, your effort, the family you grew up in. Jesus saves us by our first name, not our last name. It's this gift of God that you receive. The only thing we bring to our salvation is the sin that required us to be saved. Saved by grace through faith, not because of our goodness, not because of our works, but it says here just, it's a gift of God. 
That's why in a church, there's no room in a church for, for us to look down on anybody else. No room for that. Why? Because to look down on somebody, we're taking our eyes off of the cross of Christ. And at the cross, we recognize we all are in need of a Savior. And the gift we receive, the gift says here is to, the, the right to become children of God. For those who believe, the, the word here, to believe, it means for those who, who commit your life to. It's not just a, oh, I believe in it as in a mental thing you, you believe in. The best way I can illustrate this, it's, it's an old illustration. If you've been in church, you've heard it. Y'all are sitting in chairs right now. You are believing in your chair. I don't know what you believe about your chair, but, but, but the way you're postured right now reveals you actually believe in your chair. You believe that that chair can hold up your weight. And, and, and you can know a lot about chairs. You can know how much that chair costs. You can, you can know how wide it is. You can, know, you can know the padding that's in it, the fabric that's on it, how comfortable it is or uncomfortable it is. You can know everything there is to know about chairs. Or you can know nothing about the chair you're sitting on. What really matters is this. Do you trust to sit or not to sit? When it says here, those who believe in his name, that, that's that word believe. Not, not just, oh, I believe Jesus was a person. I believe he died on the cross. No, 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 not the historical fact, but I'm trusting that when Christ died on the cross, somehow that counted for me. And because of that, he gave me the right to be called a, a son or a daughter. My, my whole life now resting on this truth, living differently because I'm a child of the king. The right to become children of God. I don't know if you ever walked with a family when they adopted a, a child, or maybe you have, as your own family, you, you are part of an adoption, and, and it's one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel. I mean, you think about when a parent adopts a child, who's the one doing the choosing? Right? It's, not, it's not like kids line up a bunch of parents, like, okay, I'm going to take a survey, what kind of car do you drive? What's your house look like? But no, 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 it's the parent that does the choosing, right? And, and, and it's, it's, it's the parents, and, and there's no tryout for the kid either. Do you ever think about that? It's not, it's not like you go to an orphanage and you're like, hey, give me eight kids. I got kind of a March Madness thing going on here. I'm going to kind of rank them and sort of like figure out I'm going to get the best kid at the end. No, no, no. That's not how it works. It's all grace. You choose your child. You adopt them. You, you pay the full price of what it costs. Then there's this, this legal transaction where their last name changes and they become a true part of your family. Full heirs. It's a picture of the gospel. It's who you are as a Christian. If you know Christ, if you've rested, believed in, put your faith in Jesus, you were lost, but Jesus found you, the light of the world, rescues you, brings you back to the Father. You're adopted in the family, full heirs of the kingdom with your brother Jesus. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, later, John's, you, you, can, you can look into 1 John, you can hear John saying the same thing when he thinks about this idea of us becoming children of God. He says, man, what manner of love the Father lavished on us that we could be called children of God. Because what kind of love is that? This is um, unbelievable. And I hope you see what a big deal it is when you put your faith in Christ, that you go from orphans and enemies to adopted sons and daughters of the Most High King. How's it all happen? Look at verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, talking about John the Baptist again, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. It says Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. This is pretty amazing. It's, it's, it's really just this picture taken from the Old Testament where, where, where you ask, how do I enter into God's presence? How, how do I live in a relationship with this holy God? How do, how do we dwell with God? How do we relate to God? In the Old Testament, there was something called the tabernacle. It was like this tent because God's people in the wilderness are on the move. And so this tent would go with them and God's presence would be in this tabernacle and God's people would gather in God's presence. And John is now saying, hey, Jesus put on flesh and he's tabernacled with us. He's dwelt with us. He's come to us. We don't go to a holy place or a holy temple. Jesus entered into our lives, into our world. So we don't have a, a place or a center anymore. We have a person, Jesus, co-eternal with the Father. The word who's been here since the beginning decides to step out of heaven to become one of us, fully God, fully man, to rescue us. And this whole picture here, and you see John referring to the tabernacle and, and talking about Moses. So, so as a Jewish reader, you're, you're going back into Exodus and you're, you're hearing how this all fits together where, where Moses meets God and says, God, show me your glory. Show me all of who you are. And God says, no one can see me and live. That's what John says here, right? In verse 18. But John says, in Jesus, we have now seen his glory. We have what Moses pleaded for. We've seen God in Christ, full of grace and truth. In Exodus 34, 6, God is described this way as Moses says, I want to see your glory. And it says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But it says this, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You see grace and truth there? You see, forgiveness and mercy, but sin still punishes. So when John says, now we see this grace and truth through Jesus Christ, we see the grace and truth displayed completely on the cross where we receive grace upon grace. Sin still punished, but not on us now. I love how he says grace upon grace. He, he's saying there was grace and then more grace. The grace of the law. Moses, the law through Moses was God's grace, but it's only God's grace to reveal sin. It didn't, didn't deal with our sin. It's, it's like going to the doctors and he says, hey, I want to put an x-ray, get an x-ray of that arm and let's see if it's broken. The x-ray doesn't heal the broken arm. It just reveals where the break is, but there's grace in that. The grace of the law now has the grace of the cross. Grace upon grace. Now salvation provided. All sin being paid for. 2 Corinthians 5.21, making him who was, had no sin, he made him sin for us. As the worst team comes up, let me wrap it up this way with a call for us. I'm looking forward to this year digging into this book together because as you read John's gospel, we're gonna meet Jesus and this Jesus that we meet, the creator of the universe, the word of God, the ultimate, the truth, the life, the way, my question is this, do you know him? <clears throat> do you know him? If you don't know Jesus, you're lost. Without him, you're lost for eternity. 
But the light has come. Salvation is here. And, and this morning, there's an opportunity for you. If you don't know Christ, there's an opportunity right now for that light to shine in on your heart, the light of God's word to be piercing through the darkness today for you to believe, to rest, to trust, to say, I'm putting my life in this truth. That right now, to admit, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe that when Christ died on the cross, it counted for me. So would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads? If you don't know Christ, I want to give you an opportunity right now with, with all our heads bowed. You would take a moment. If, if God is calling you right now and you, you know it, that you'd respond. You'd say, God, I'm ready to receive your free gift of grace. I want to confess Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord. For those of you who know Christ, I mean, it says the light has come, so let me ask you this. Is there anything in your life that's in the darkness? Is there fear that's trying to tell you that that the darkness is stronger than the light? Is there sin that needs to be taken to the cross to receive grace? God's created this divine moment for you right now to bring you into the light, to say, Jesus, you know who I am and where I'm at and what I'm doing. God, you know this darkness and I need you to expose it. That you'd pray right now, I need you to bring life where there's death. I need you to light up a path for me so I can walk away from this darkness. For some of you, that's why you're here today. That Jesus wants you to know this. He's not angry with you. He's not trying to punish you. He, he knows what you're hiding. And he wants you to bring in the light so he can forgive and he can heal. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for this moment right now. Lord, that anything that's in the darkness would be, would be brought to the light because darkness brings death, not life. And anything that's in the darkness separates us from you and does not draw us closer to you. So God, I pray that there be light in the darkness, that, that Jesus, you would be the light of our world this morning and that we would walk in the light as you are in the light and have fellowship with you. Because Jesus, in you, there is light and there's no darkness at all. So I, I pray that, that, that life would come even this morning, wherever there is death. That this morning in you and through you would be new life. Where there's fear, that for those who believed in your name, that there would no longer be fear, but instead there would be this, this recognition of the love and the hope and the joy that comes from being called a child of God. And as we respond and worship this morning, Lord, I, I pray, Spirit, that, that your presence would be among our, us as we sing praises to Jesus because we have a reason to sing. We have a reason to hope. We have a reason to celebrate. And it's in Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you sing with me?